Anyway, my text today comes from Matthew chapter number six. Matthew chapter number six, verse number six. And here's what it says. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, when you have sheltered in place, my version, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Today, as we stand on the verge of the country reopening and slowly getting back to gatherings and connection and community, I want to talk to you about a subject that I don't believe will resonate with you just by the title at first blush, but yet it is extremely powerful, and that is the power of quarantine, the power of quarantine. You're like, Pastor, the last thing I want to hear about is quarantine. I want to get out of my house. I want to get back to work. I want to drive somewhere. I want to go to a restaurant. Why are you talking to us about the power of quarantine? Because there is one quarantine that you cannot substitute, and that always needs to be part of your life, and that is the quarantine of prayer. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak powerfully and poignantly to every single one of us? Would you help us to get into that place of prayer that helps our life to go the way that you want it to, that helps us to be everything that you've designed us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. As we open the pages of Scripture, right in the first book, the book of Genesis, we find that there is this theme that emerges, and, and, it, and it carries through throughout all of Scripture. And it's this theme that we need each other, that it's not good for us to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. God never destined us to be alone. He never destined us to live a life that was shut off from one another. This theme of being together goes throughout the pages of scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. In Exodus, we find Moses who has had many unseen conversations with God. He's talked to God. God's been in a cloud somewhere. He's heard a voice, but he's seen no man. He goes to God one day and says, God, I'm sick of just hearing your voice. God, I want to see you face to face. Modern translation, God, I'm sick of talking to you on the phone. I want some FaceTime with you right now, God. In Psalm 133, the scripture tells us how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. What's the theme? It's not good for us to be alone. In Ecclesiastes, the famous text of being together, chapter number four, verse number nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Whenever I say two are better than one, I think two cookies is better than one cookies. Two scoops of ice cream is better than one scoop of ice cream. I don't know. I had a foodie week this week. Anyway, it's talking about people, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. You all remember the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. Now they have those beepers, so that doesn't ever happen, right? Verse number 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's the theme again. It's not good for us to be alone. Matter of fact, the theme continues into the New Testament. In First Peter chapter number 5, verse number 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Lions look for prey that have fallen back from the pack. 
When, when you are not part of the pack, you are easy to attack. What is the message? It's not good for us to be alone. In Matthew, there's a story about a, a lame man that was carried by his four friends to the house where Jesus was so that he could be lowered down through a roof and could get his healing. What's the message? It's not good for us to be alone. We need each other. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's a text we need to remember because online is only for a short time. Even though we'll always have online, it'll never substitute for being in person, assembling together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, we need each other and perhaps The greatest indication of our need for one another is how John describes Jesus coming to the earth. John chapter 1 verse number 14. Listen to what it says in the message translation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The neighborhood. The community. Barbecues and block parties and hanging out on the front porch and doing life together. I love the fact that the message says Jesus didn't just come to earth, but he moved into the neighborhood to do life with us, to gather with us, to be in each other's presence. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. 65% of millennials say they sometimes or always feel lonely. 50% of Gen Xers. 44% of baby boomers. And when you're lonely, the stats say what God has said all alone, that it's not good. For instance, when you're lonely, there's a 26% increase in mortality. When you're lonely, there's a 29% increase in risk of heart disease. When you're lonely, there's a 32% increase of stroke. There's a greater chance of being obese, becoming an alcoholic, and smoking 15 cigarettes in a day. What is it telling us? It is not good for us to be alone. Together is okay for now. Together online for now in in this way is okay. Via Zoom or via Facebook or via church online. That's okay for now. But it should never take the place of face to face. Because God never intended for us to be alone. I had to wipe my face. I felt something that I ate for lunch coming up out of my... No, I shouldn't tell you that right now. But it's actually what happened. We should never, never separate from each other permanently. We need each other. We are better together. So when I say I want to talk to you from the subject, the power of quarantine, I'm not referring to us becoming or staying separated from one another like we have for the last two months. I'm not referring to continuing to work from home. I'm not referring to continuing to go to school online. I'm not referring to having online-only services forever and ever. All that has to come to an end, and we have to get back to gathering together because truth is, that's really what's best for us all. But there is a specific kind of quarantine that you and I need to make a permanent part of our normal routine, both now and when the country opens up again. And that is our quarantine time with our Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6. Listen to it again. But you, not if, not sometimes, but when you pray, go into your room. 
And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in that secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And he makes reference to this, to this room. It, some have called it a prayer closet. But originally it was a room where kings would keep their treasures. The things that were most valuable to them. It was an inner chamber, a secret chamber that only the king and a few others knew where it was. And so it was locked off from the rest of the world. Later it became known as an intimate place or a bedchamber between a husband and a wife. Actually in King James's actual castle in Edinburgh, Scotland, his bedroom is one big room. But then inside that one big room, there is this inner chamber. And that's where he would actually change his clothes. Sort of like a walk-in closet, if you will. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this prayer room is referring to a place where you and I should self-quarantine so that we can isolate from the rest of the world and spend intimate, private, personal time with our Heavenly Father so that we can come out powerful. The power of quarantine. This is where our life gets better. This is where transformation takes place in that inner chamber. And so I want to give you four truths about quarantining in our prayer closet. Number one, it must be a priority. Let's face it. Most of us have always felt like the number one reason why we don't pray is because we're too busy. Like to pray, but we're just kind of too busy to pray. I'd like to get up a half an hour early, but you know, I, I do so much and I get up a half an hour early to pray. You know, I don't know if I'm going to have energy for the rest of the day. I got to run here. I got to do this. I got to do that. Jesus told the parable about a, a about a business and uh, or about busyness and a person who uh, invited all of his friends to come for a dinner banquet to his house. And as he sent out the invitation, people begin to come up with a whole bunch of reasons. And by the way, reasons like this, are, that's excuses. You, you've heard what I said about excuses before, right? Everybody has at least two excuses. They're like armpits. They all stink. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that we all have reasons why we don't want to pray or we don't have time to pray. And in the story, one person said, I got to go check on the property I just bought. Modern day version, I just bought a vacation home. I got to check it out. Another one said, uh, work's crazy. You know, too, too busy. Got to tend to the crops. Work is too crazy. Another one said, well, I just got married. I got to spend some QT with the wifey. You know, I can't. Excuses, excuses, excuses. All of these because they were too busy to pray. And none of our excuses, well, some of them, but none of the other excuses that we use made the list. Like, well, you know, I got house projects to do. I got cleaning, cooking, kids, recreational activities. I love to pray, but I don't have time to pray. Point is, most of us, if we're honest, pre-COVID, one of the main reasons why we don't pray is we're too busy. I found this little poem. I got up early one morning and rushed into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, child, you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided my child. You didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. 
What's Jesus trying to tell us here? That this, this secret chamber, this quarantine place has to be a priority. Pre-COVID, we were too busy to pray. Here's my question right now. Why are we too busy to pray right now? And the answer is really not because we're too busy. It's because it's not a priority because everybody always gives time to what's a priority. Jesus emphatically tells us, but you, when you pray. But then the second thing I see in this text here is that in order for us to have this quality time with God, to quarantine ourselves with the creator of the universe so we can become the best version of us that God wants us to be, it's got to be private. I don't mean that public praying is useless because we pray in public all the time in church services and at restaurants and at ball games and different things like that. We pray and, you know, we, we bow our heads to God in an assembly and that has its place. But, but transformational prayer happens in private, in your treasure room in your inner chamber, where you and I block out the noise of all the distractions and purpose, not not to, just to talk to God in a distracted way, but to talk to God and to hear from God. Not just to do all the talking, but to listen to what God has to say. You know, prayer is more than us just bringing a list before God. God, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and this, and this. Prayer is just as much about listening as it is about talking. And I've said this before, but it bears repeating again. When you are in a room with somebody smarter than you, you should do less talking and more listening. You know, when James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about prayer, in James chapter 1, verse number 5, here's what he says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given him. Most of the times in our life, we have wisdom problems. We don't know how, we don't when, we don't know when, we don't know why. We, we feel confused and we feel, feel like we're at an impasse and we just need God to give us some direction and we come into God's presence and we, we talk, we talk, we talk, we talk wanting to get wisdom. But if we never listen, we won't receive the wisdom that God liberally wants to give us. You know, the scripture tells us to be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse number 10. Don't you hate those people who you're having a conversation with and they'll ask you a question, but then keep right on talking and never give you time to answer the question? That's how we do God. God is saying when you come into that private place, it's not just to talk, but it's also to listen, to shut out the distractions. You might remember the story of Elijah um, when he ran from Jezebel and he, he ran to a cave and there he wanted to hear the voice of God. And you remember the story, there was this big wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there was this big earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was this amazing fire, but God wasn't in the fire. Hey, check that out. Earth, wind, and fire. Come on, 70s and 80s. (laughs) Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Anyway, but then it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 12, and after the fire, a still, small voice. You can't hear the still, small voice of God unless you block out the noise. And that's why Jesus said this, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, here's what God told me to tell you. Hearing his voice is your choice. Let me say it again because a lot of people think that God doesn't speak. A lot of people think that God is mute, that, you know, God just doesn't talk to none of us. The fact of the matter is God is speaking all the time, but we are not listening to what God has to say. You, you have to tune in to turn around your chair and hear the voice. See what I did right there? 
See what I did right there? So just play that back just a minute right, right there. Because hearing the voice is where your victory is. The voice is where the wisdom you need to win at the war of life resides. I love to tell the story about a time when they used Morse code through telegraphs. And there was an Adney newspaper for somebody to come in and get one of these jobs. And, and so this kid, he answered it and he showed up and there were about seven or eight people in the waiting room before him. And um, he, there was a, a message on the receptionist's desk and the receptionist's message said, take an application, fill it out and wait to be called. And so he was like number eight and he's in the, the room. When all of a sudden he gets up, goes right to the door where the interviewer is, opens it up and walks in. And everybody else in the room is going, wow, what's it? he just cut the line. You know, you know how mad people get when you cut the line? You're like, yo, line stop, line's back there, bro. I was at Kohl's the other day, right? And the line was like in some crazy different directions and everything. And it looked to me like, like this was the end of the line. And so I got here at the end of the line like this. And little to my knowledge, the line kind of picked up and went back there. And then you should have seen how mad people behind their masks were talking to me like, yo, bro, the line People get mad if you cut the line. And so this guy... He walks in, he goes right to where the interviewer is. And, and, and everyone's like, can you can believe that? And the interviewer and, and, and the young man come out and the interview announcers and he says, listen, listen, uh, sorry, but uh, job's been filled. He, he got the job. And everyone's like, what do you mean? He, he got here after us and we didn't even get a chance to interview. And here's what the employer responded. I'm sorry, but at the time that you were sitting here, all the time that you were sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it and understood it. This man did, so he got the job. What is it that we are missing out on? Because we don't have private time with God. Where we're missing out on the wisdom that God wants to speak to us because we're not staying still enough in our private place to hear the voice of God. But then the third thing I see in this text is that in order for this quarantine time to be powerful, it must be personal. Remember again what Jesus said here, John, Matthew chapter six, verse number six, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, listen to it, pray to your father. Luke, you are my father. Luke, I am your father. Not you are, I am your father. I just screwed it up and you get the point, right? A little imperfection in preaching makes it real. Pray to your father who is in the secret place. Psalm 91 says something familiar or similar to that. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And some people are like, aha, there it is, Pastor. That's where I can't find God because he's in some secret place. How am I supposed to know how to get God if he's in the secret place? You know what the secret place is? It's your prayer place. The reason why so many of us never find God is because we don't go to the secret place that Jesus talked about, where God is. God is in that space where we detach from the world. We shut the door. It's just him and us and where we quiet down and when we listen to him. And what Jesus tells us here is he tells us this, that when you go into that secret place, you need to make it personal. You need to understand you're praying to your father. Over and over again, Jesus makes it a point to tell us to make the most out of quarantine time. We must realize that we are not praying to God only, but we are praying to God who happens to be our father. I love to tell the story about the emperor's son 
in Roman times, when emperors would conquer in battle, they would lead this triumphant procession, a parade, if you will, back through the, their home city. And the streets would be lined with the people cheering on the emperor. And the soldiers would all be out to make sure that the people stayed behind the barricades. And nobody rushed out to the emperor that wasn't supposed to be there. And about midway through the parade, there would be a dais that would be raised. And on the dais would be the emperor's family. And on this particular day, on this dais was the emperor's wife and his eight-year-old little boy. And the eight-year-old little boy saw his father coming down the street and he got so excited he jumped down from the dais and he made his way through the crowd. He tried to juke out the soldiers and one of the soldiers scooped him up and picked him up. Didn't know it was the emperor's son and held him up and said, young man, don't you know who that is? That's the emperor. You can't go there. And the little boy laughed. He said, he's your emperor, but he's my daddy. See, one of the things that we have to realize if we're going to come to this place where this quarantine time of prayer is going to be powerful and profitable is that we're not just praying to the God of the universe. We're not just praying to the emperor of the universe. We are praying to the emperor of the universe and the God of the universe who happens to be our father. I mean, when it's in the family, you've got some perks. When it's in the family, you understand that your daddy is going to pay attention to what you're saying. I love what author Tim Keller wrote. He said, a fruitful prayer life requires a foundational conviction that God is my father. That he's totally for me without hesitation on his part. It has to be fundamental or foundational. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have started the Lord's prayer with the words, our father. Some Bible scholars may find an exception to what I'm about to say here. But I don't think Jesus ever addressed God without calling him father. Actually, he did once. That one time was when he was on the cross and he became sin. And he was separated from the Father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But all the time that he was connected with God, except for that one moment in time when he was separated from God because of sin, he always referred to God as his Father. And he said this, it must be foundational. I would say it has to be foundational because in the word father, you essentially have the gospel in miniature. If God is my boss, if he's my employer, then even though he may be a very good boss or a very good employer, nevertheless, in the end, he is not unconditionally committed to me. If I act up, he may give me a break or two, but eventually my boss will say, I'm sorry, you're terminated. I have three sons, he goes on, he says. But if one of them was acting up, if one of them was acting a little disobedient or a little bit more rebellious or something like that, as a father, if anything, and and if you're a parent, you know this, if anything, my heart would go out to them more. It actually got me more involved with them because I'm not their boss. I'm their father. See, we have to understand who God is. So to call God Father enhances everything we do in prayer. If you don't know that God is your Father, it flattens and reduces and thins out every kind of prayer. Do you realize how transformational this truth is? That there is a power in moving from impersonal prayer. God, whoever you are out there, God, the great distant one from the universe, who probably has too much going on in your life right now to be worried about little old me. 
That's how you pray when you think he's just God. But when you understand that he's God who happens to be your father, you're like, Dad, i got to talk. I did something wrong. I need some help. God, Dad, got to talk. I have this impossible situation that I don't know how to deal with. And I've tried everything that I know how, but Dad, I know you have the power. And Dad, not only do I know you have the power, but, but you're my father. And so you want it from me more than I want it from me. You know what's best for me and you. You want to do what's best for me. There's a transformation that takes place in knowing that God is your father. Your father who happens to be all powerful. Your father who happens to be all knowing. Your father who happens to have nothing that is too difficult for him. Your father whose very word spoke the worlds into existence. Your father who defeated death, hell, and the grave. Your father who can walk on water. Your father who can bring dead things back to life again. Your father whose touch can cure sickness and disease. Your father whose word commands storms to cease. Your father who can fix anything. Your father who can right wrongs. Your father whose strength is unparalleled. Your father who flexes his muscles and the seashores stop. Who when he flexes, the Red Sea opens up. Who when he flexes, lions sleep in a den in the midst of a man when they haven't eaten in days. Your father who happens to be God. Jesus is telling us when you, when you enter into your prayer room, when you shut the door, he said, here's what I want you to make sure you do. Pray to your father in secret. And lastly, Jesus tells us here that your quarantine time in your prayer closet makes you more powerful. You know, many times we pray simply to change circumstances. Matter of fact, if I were to put a percentage on it, I would say that most of the time. Nine times out of ten when we pray, we pray to change circumstances. And make no mistake about it, prayer does change circumstances. Prayer can right a wrong. Prayer can turn injustice into justice. Prayer can cause the sick to be healed. It can cause provision to come to the impoverished. It can restore a marriage. It can bring a child back home. It can turn an impossible situation around. It can make the sun stand still, the Red Sea part. Prayer can open blind eyes. Prayer can calm turbulent storms. Prayer can turn little into much. Prayer can and does transform and change circumstances. And we should pray for that reason. But C.S. Lewis said something once that captured the, the essence of why we should pray. There was a time in C.S. Lewis's life where his wife, famed American writer Joy Gresham, she had terminal cancer and later it had gone into remission. During that time, an Anglican priest had a conversation with C.S. Lewis and he articulated C.S. Lewis the greatest reason why we should pray. The priest said, I know how hard you've been playing and now it seems like God is answering your prayers because the cancer was going into remission. And Lewis responded, I love this, he said, that's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, working and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. This is the reason, the essence of why we ought to go into our prayer chamber. Not because it changes God. Not because...
because even though it does, it changes the circumstance. But because it changes us. I'm reminded of a story in the Bible about a little old widow woman who she goes to visit this unjust judge one day to get justice. And by the way, the story is told by Jesus and the story is all about prayer because the first line in the story is men ought always to pray and never to cease. And then he tells this parable about the persistent widow. It's found in Luke chapter number 18 and you could read it on your own time. Matter of fact, after the sermon, I'd go and do it. But you see, what's interesting about this parable to me is it shows how prayer turned this widow woman who is powerless into somebody who is extremely powerful. See, in Bible times, widows had an awful plight. In Bible times, widows were dependent upon their husband and then their son in order to support them. If they had no husband or no son, they, they were left without anything. And so they were easy targets for people to take advantage of. Moreover, um, there was no one there to help them with anything. So if somebody took advantage of them and they had to go to court, they really had no shot because the Roman court system was corrupt. See, how was it corrupt? Well, the judge in the Roman court system was judge and jury. And so people would pack into the courthouse and it would be packed with people just lined up all over the place. And one judge who was also a jury had a, all these cases. And so there were secretaries in the Roman courthouse and, and the judge would have the secretaries bring the people one by one that they chose up to him to hear their cases. And of course, the secretaries knew that they were in an enviable position. And so people began to bribe the secretaries. They became famous for taking bribes. And of course, the judge was in on the bribes. And so um, the judge would issue favorable uh, rulings to people who gave a lot of money to the secretaries in order for their case to be heard. And so everybody was in on the take. So feel the Benjamins and you're to the front of the line and you're off. Kind of sounds a little bit like maybe a modern day justice system. Anyway, when Jesus tells this story, he tells of this widow woman who goes to see this judge, and everybody's thinking, she's got no shot of hearing, of course, her case heard in court. She's got no money to help her out. But not only does she get the judge to hear her case, but she gets justice for the case. And everybody listening to this is going, I can't believe this This is a total miracle. What is Jesus' point? That prayer makes the powerless That prayer can turn you into somebody that can override a corrupt system because prayer changes us. It makes us powerful. How does it do this? Let's go back to the prayer room, to the quarantine chamber that Jesus is talking about in our text. This is the place where kings change their clothes. And you know, the Bible tells us that we're kings and priests to our God. But so many times as we walk in this world, we put on the wrong kinds of garments unintentionally. We put on garments of greed and lust and corruption and depression, hopelessness and despair and confusion and the list goes on and on. But when we go into our quarantine chamber, those worldly garments get exchanged for heavenly armor so that we can walk out in the authority and the confidence that we are supposed to have as kings and priests. What garments do we exchange our worldly garments for when we go into the quarantine chamber? Well, listen to Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
Stand therefore having your, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Can you see your clothes being changed as you shut the door of your quarantine chamber? Can you see the lies assaulting your mind, giving way to the belt of truth? Can you see your heart that is overwhelmed with hurt and troubled by sin being protected by the breastplate of righteousness? Can you see your worry, anxiety, and depression giving way to the peace that God places as a foundation on your feet? Can you see your clothes being changed? Can you see the things that the enemy has been launching your way falling to the ground as you raise up the shield of faith? Can you see the confusion that is in your mind and assaulting your head being rendered powerless as God places the helmet of salvation on you? Can you see what happens when you pray? Yes, the situation changes, but more importantly, you begin to change. You morph from powerless to powerful. You morph from messed up to more than a conquer. You morph from held back, set back, and shut down to someone who is operating in supernatural power. Prayer makes you powerful. Prayer makes you powerful. It transforms you. It changes you into the best you that you can be. It changes you into the person that God has destined you to be. Prayer changes us. That's why it's powerful. The greatest change that comes from prayer is when you say a prayer to make Jesus the Lord of your life. That prayer changes you from on your way to hell to on your way to heaven. That prayer changes you from someone with sin held to their charge to someone who is completely forgiven in the eyes of God. That prayer changes you from a sinner to a son or daughter of God. Here's what I know right now. I know the Holy Spirit is tugging at the hearts of some of you that are watching. He's ministering to the hearts of all of you, but he's tugging at the hearts of some of you. And the tug you feel is a tug to surrender your life to Christ in prayer. And right now, if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer right there in your home, wherever you're watching from, out loud with me. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me as I put my faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, it's important to tell somebody, tell somebody in the room, tell somebody in the house, but tell us. We want to know about it. We want to know that the word of God is ministered to you. If you're watching on church online, hit the button right on your screen that says raise my hand so we can reach out to you. If you're watching on another platform, um, you can type the word Jesus in the chat and we'll reach out to you because we want you to know that with Jesus in your life, you are destined to win. 
Thanks so much for watching, but don't just stop there. Click the Watch Live button in the description below to join us for Faith Church Online every Sunday morning. And while you're there, you can set a reminder to come back Sundays at 9 and 11. If you'd also like to learn more about getting involved here at Faith Church, you can click the Connect button. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so that you don't miss a single video and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you again for watching. And as always, remember, with Jesus, you are destined to win.